Good morning. The scripture reading for this morning is from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 2 through 5 and verses 11 through 12. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was I'm sorry, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Lacey, for our scripture lesson this morning. I'd also like to say a word of thanks to our praise band for being here and uh, the word they do. Good job. A little short of numbers this morning, but they do an awesome job anyway. And gosh, you know, I don't know how many of you know, uh, Warren is uh, a runner and uh, he went to Texas and won first place in a hundred mile race. <laughs> Man, I wouldn't be here if I ran 100 miles. I'd do that for sure. But congratulations. A great, great job. Uh, we're so proud of all of them. They offer their talents to God. And good to be with you today. My name is Ricky Willis. and pastor here, and I'm delighted to be worshiping with you. On, uh, and we've got a lot of people out with Mardi Gras and trips and all that kind of fun stuff. But I'm glad you're here because uh, we're going to worship together and, and have God's time. Let's pray together as we enter this time together. Lord, we just pause in this moment to ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us to open our hearts and our minds to your word. We read this word, God, and we seek its meaning for our life today. So we ask for your spirit to help us in that. Uh, There are those here today, God, who are going through difficult times in our life, and we just pray that your word may bring comfort and instruction. May you be glorified, and may we all be drawn closer to you in this moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're actually... In the last sermon of a series that we've been doing, <clears throat> dealing with lessons from the wilderness. And we've been looking at some biblical characters from the Old Testament at how they walked through these wilderness moments in their lives. And we've been looking at their stories, hoping that they would give us some instruction, maybe some helps that we can have for the times when we walk through wilderness moments of life. We've learned in this series that in the Bible, the word wilderness uh, means two different things. It means both a geographical place that is an actual place of barrenness and desolation, uh, kind of like the Judean wilderness that was nearby, the desert. But it's also a metaphor for talking about those wilderness moments in our lives where we go through barren and difficult and dry times, hopeless times, times of great despair, wilderness moments. Today we're going to be looking at the story of Elijah, the prophet. And You know, what we know about Elijah is that he was responding to things that were going on in his world at that time. When you read the stories of Elijah, you're going to come across two names quite often, and the name is King Ahab and then Jezebel. 
You may have heard those names before. King Ahab was the king of Israel at that time. Jezebel was the woman that he married, uh, who was actually the daughter of the king of Sidon. Uh, Sidon was north of Israel, was in the land of Phoenicia, uh, a very strategic place. And so uh, what happened was that King Ahab formed an alliance with the king of Sidon by marrying his daughter Jezebel. But what we come to learn as you read this story is that um, the Sidonians worshipped a different god than the people of Israel worshipped. They worshipped a god known as Baal. You may have heard that uh, word in your Bible studies, a B-A-A-L, Baal. <clears throat> and uh, the truth is there were many people who worshipped the god's name Baal because uh, the name Baal literally means lord or master. So there were a variety of gods that you read about in the Old Testament that were called Baal. Uh, Sidonians actually worshipped a particular god that was known as the Lord of the Rains. Uh, they believed that if you worship this god and then you would pray to this god and made sacrifice to this god, that he would make it rain. Water was essential, particularly in that geographical climate. And so they worshipped the Lord of the Rain that they called Baal. The Israelites, of course, worshipped a different god named Yahweh. I mean, and they believed that Yahweh was the only God. I mean, that was one of the great claims that the Israelite people made in that day and time, that there is only one God. There are no other gods, and his name is Yahweh. Now, this happened, though, when Abraham married Jezebel. Uh, she brought over her religion <clears throat> to the land of Israel, and she began to try to impose that religion upon the people of Israel. I'm going to read you a passage that kind of gives you a uh, character analysis of what King Ahab was like. And then uh, from there, we'll talk about Jezebel. But in First King chapter 16, we read these words. <clears throat> Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. He took as his wife Jezebel, daughter of King Ethbaal of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which was built in Samaria, which was the capital at that time. Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than had all the other kings who were of Israel who were before him. But the truth is, Jezebel was even worse than King Ahab. I mean, if she saw something she wanted, uh, she seized it, and she didn't think twice about killing anybody that got in her way. And she was intent on imposing her religion on the people of Israel and eradicating this belief in Yahweh. Uh, she actually brought 450 prophets with her from Sidon, and she built a temple that was right next to the palace, and she required all the people to come there and worship and offer sacrifices and prayers to Baal. And eventually she had all of the prophets and the priests of Yahweh killed. So systematically, she's trying to eliminate uh, the worship of, of uh, Yahweh and to implement the worship of Baal upon the Israelite people. And Ahab... You know, he's, he's an Israelite. He's king of Israel. And you'd think he would not be for this, but he doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to bother him at all. In fact, he thinks it's actually a good thing that you have a variety of gods for the people to worship. He doesn't even seem to be bothered that all of the prophets of, of Yahweh have been killed. It's in this context that in response to all this, God raises up the prophet Elijah. Elijah's name is actually synonymous with his ministry. If you've been with us in this series, you learned that El... El is the, the short form of the word for God. Uh, the long form is Elohim. Uh, but El means God, and Yah is what God's name is, Yahweh. And so Elijah's name, or Elijah's name is actually, it means Yahweh is my God. That's what his name means. And that really was the focus of his entire ministry. Uh, he was to try to 
help the people of Israel understand that Yahweh is the real God. He is the only God. And that this Baal is actually a false God. He calls the people back to faithfulness. Uh, each week we give you a study guide in your uh, bulletin area. I hope that you'll take that and, and read. You're going to get a chance to read all of these stories, the many ways that Elijah tried to bring the people back to worship of Yahweh. Um, but you also notice that Elijah, he's one of the prophets of Yahweh, and he's grieving over how all of his friends, all of his fellow prophets and priests have been slaughtered by Jezebel. And so it was that, along with all these the calling upon his life and all the things that were happening that caused him and motivated him to go out and confront the powers of his day and to call the people back to faithfulness to God. The climax of the story takes place in a contest uh, where you have the prophets of Baal are pitted against uh, the prophet Elijah, and many of you know that story. And again, you're going to get a chance to read it if you do your study guide this week. But after Elijah wins this contest, all the people see that the prophets of Baal are, are uh, false prophets, and they've They've been uh, duped by them. They turn on them and they kill all the prophets of Baal. When Jezebel hears this, she is not happy at all. In fact, she puts a death warrant out on Elijah's head. And, um, you know, Elijah knows she can do that. I mean, she's already killed all the other prophets of Yahweh. And so he flees for his life. Uh, he heads down south. If you see the map here, you can see up at Mount Carmel and then Samaria. He heads down south to a town called Beersheba. And you notice on the map that's out of the desert. Now, if you were with us last week, uh, that, that town's name ought to ring a bell for you because this is the same place that Hagar fled to when she ran away. And we talked about Hagar's story last week. Well, after fleeing to Beersheba, he gets there and he's just to the point he's ready to give up. He's got a, a price on his head. He's um, seen all of his uh, friends and fellow prophets put to death by Jezebel. And now Jezebel has sent her troops out to kill him. He's afraid. But more than that, he's just tired. He's just weary from the running away and the fighting this battle. He's just ready to give up. This is what we read. Elijah sat down under a solitary broom tree. If you notice in that graphic, um, that's a broom tree out on the, in, in the desert there is what it looks like. So he, he gets under the broom tree and he asks that he just might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. For I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and he falls asleep. Can you relate to how Elijah is feeling? Now, you may not have prayed to die, but there's not anyone of us here who hasn't felt like giving up at times. We, we all feel like giving up. I, my wife is a teacher, and uh, I often get to listen to her frustrations when she comes home about the teaching profession. <laughs> um, what we know is that the average tenure of a new teacher today is only between three and five years, three and five years, just, just three to five years. And part of that is because uh, they have the challenges of discipline, the lack of family support. Um, they have where you, you've got the, the children are not being where they need to be in order to do the work they're, they're required to do. You've got a lack of resources and the challenges with that. And it all goes to the point where teachers today are just saying, I, I can't do this anymore. I give up. <laughs> Uh, you also hear this in the medical profession. I've talked to a lot of doctors and nurses who have told me that, you know, I went into the medical profession because I wanted to help people. And yet, doing this day after day, year after year, I just don't have anything else to give anymore. I'm tired. I'm just ready to give up. I could go on and on with examples of that in professions. You know, we, we all reach that point in our life at some point where we just feel like giving up. But we've had enough. We can't go on anymore. 
And, and then there are those who experience those moments of such deep depression and despair that it's more than just feeling like I can't give up. Our prayer becomes, Lord, I see no hope. I'm just ready to end it all. Well, that's, that's where Elijah is. Even though he's this great prophet of God, he is so discouraged, so depressed, so tired, that he just feels like there's no reason to keep on living. He's ready to end his life. Praise, praise that God would take it all. But this is what happens. We read how an angel of the Lord came to Elijah in the midst of his wilderness moment. If you've been with us over the last several weeks, this is a story that we've heard over and over again, the part of the story we've heard, how God comes to us when we find ourselves in the midst of our wilderness moments in life. But this angel doesn't say anything to Elijah. He just cooks some bread and he offers him food. Now, what you'd expect for the angel to say is, take heart, Elijah. I bring you good news of great joy. Everything is going to be okay. Jezebel, she's had a change of heart. Uh, you know, you, when you go back, they're going to set up a parade. They're just going to welcome you back into town and celebrate the great victory you had. Elijah, it's all been fixed. Everything's okay. You can go back home. <laughs> Isn't that really what we want to hear from an angel of the Lord or from God when we pray in the midst of our times of wilderness and despair? We, we want God to fix everything, to make everything okay. And when God doesn't do that, and then we get angry with God. Uh, that's what, never what you read in the Bible. I mean, the truth is, God doesn't fix everything. You hardly ever read that happening in the Bible where God just makes everything okay. That's not how life and faith work. So the angel of the Lord comes to Elijah. And remember how we've learned that angels are not those winged creatures that you read about in the scriptures. They are messengers that are sent by God to people in times of distress, to comfort them and encourage them. They bring a word from the Lord of instruction or communicate his will about something. And this angel of the Lord comes to Elijah, and instead of bringing a word from God, he simply cooks something and gives him something to eat. In other words, the angel of the Lord provided for his needs in that moment. And that reminded me of the angels that we have as a part of this church who provide food for those who are in their times of grief or for those who are going through times of recovery and illness. We have lots of angels in this church. Well, after eating, Elijah gets up and he sets out again. And he continues to travel south. I mean, he's already traveled out of the country. He's already passed Jezebel's reach. Yet he continues for 40 days and for 40 nights to travel south to an area known as, the, as Mount Horeb. Why in the world is he going that far, far south to, to Mount Horeb? Well, if you know your Bibles, you know that Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same place. They're just you know, called the same thing. They mean the same place, Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai. Can you think of anything that might have happened at Mount Sinai that would cause Elijah to go there? Uh, this is the picture of... Uh, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb today. This is the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments. This is the place where Israel became God's people. It's here where God established his covenant relationship with Israel. And it's here where Moses actually encounters God. You remember at one point in Moses' life, he became so discouraged that he cried out to God, God, just show me your face so I'll know that you're real. God says, I can't do that. If I did that, you'd die. My, my glory is, is too great for you. It would destroy you. 
But God told Moses to go hide in the cleft of the rock. And when God passed by, Moses would be able to see his train as it passed by. All these things happened on this mountain known as Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. So why does Elijah go to Mount Horeb? It's because this is where everything began. It's here where their faith first began. So he goes back to this place where faith in God originated, where they experienced God's presence. God was made real to them. The text says that Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights as he traveled to Mount Horeb. You read how Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights while he was on Mount Sinai or waiting on to encounter God. Who else do we read about who fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness? It's Jesus, right? (laughs) Jesus, remember that? Uh, So you find this connection between these three characters throughout the Bible, Moses, Elijah, and uh, Jesus. When Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, there were two people that appeared to him. You remember who they were? Moses and Elijah. So again, you're going to see that connection continually throughout Scripture. So Elijah goes to Mount Horeb to meet with God in that place where his faith began, where it all began. That's one of the reasons that I often encourage people to try to make it at least one time in your life to the Holy Land if you can. Uh, There's just something about standing in this place where Jesus stood or standing in those places where our faith originated. It just makes your faith come alive for you. And it's it's like going back to Mount Horeb. (laughs) It's like going back home. And hopefully we can get a trip here together for us. But, But you don't have to travel clear across the world in order for that to happen. Where is your Mount Horeb? Where is that place you go to meet with God in your times of discouragement and despair? Where do you go to hear God's voice? For some of us, that's not really a place. It's that inner place within us that is at the core of our belief. It is that foundation upon which everything else hinges in life, that belief that there is a God and that God is real, and that this God loves me, and this God has not forsaken me, and this God has promised he will always be with me. When you go back to that foundation of your faith, that core belief, you find your life sustained, empowered to go forward. For many of us, the church is uh, Mount Horeb. And I'm, in fact, I hope that every Sunday is a Mount Horeb moment for you, where you get the chance to reconnect with God. Um, you know, I, lots of people come here to church, even during the week, to pray because they're finding themselves in wilderness moments of discouragement or despair, because this is where we meet God. I I often come to the church to pray when I'm feeling discouraged. There are other places I go, too. I I love going to the mountains. I love going in the outdoors, because in those settings, I I just feel closer to God. Uh, A few years back, I went to um, a camp, a Methodist camp up in North Louisiana called the Caney Conference Center. That's where I went to summer camp the time I was in elementary all the way through high school, and it was in that setting that I, I first uh, gave my life to Christ. It was there when I first heard the call of ministry. And after spending time at that place, I, I just felt my calling, my, my faith renewed. I felt reconnected with God in a way that I don't feel in other places. I was able to find encouragement for the journey. Where is your Mount Horeb? Where's the place you go to meet with God? Where's the place you go to hear God's voice? Well, for, for Elijah, it was Mount Horeb. And he went there. He found a cave that's on the side of the mountain there. It's still there today. You can visit. <clears throat> and uh, he's 
in this cave waiting to hear the voice of God. Now, I don't know how it is for you, but I have never heard the audible voice of God with my ears speaking to me. Maybe you have, <laughs> but uh, I really haven't. But, and yet I, I, I believe that God speaks to me all the time in a, in a variety of different ways. And when I hear, you know, I read in the Bible where it says the, Lord, the, the word of the Lord came to them, um, I believe that the word of the Lord came to them in pretty much the same way that it comes to us. For me, it happens in a lot of different ways. When I'm reading the Bible, when I read the scriptures, I hear God's voice speaking to me. I, when I'm reading devotion time, um, you know, sometimes it's just a, an idea or a thought that seizes, seizes my heart. In that moment, God speaks to me. And sometimes it's, I hear God's voice speaking to me when I'm listening to music. Sometimes it's when I'm listening to someone else preach or someone else teach or at a worship service. And many of you have said the same thing. But in Elijah's case, this is what he hears. The word of the Lord came to him saying, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And you remember that same thing happened to Moses up on this mountain. But this is, this is what happened to Elijah. There was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. That's how the NIV version uh, translates it. The NRSV version says, he heard the sound of sheer silence. The King James version says, the still, small voice of God spoke to him. It was in the silence, in the quietness, that Elijah heard the voice of God. Listen, when you're walking through those moments that are like wilderness times of despair and depression, and you're feeling like there's no hope, you're going to hear these voices in your head. You're going to hear all these voices telling you things like, there is no hope. It's always going to be like this. It's never going to change. There's no way out. There's no hope to hang on to. There is no God. Where is God? He's nowhere. Our heads are filled with these kind of voices of discouragement and, and depression. And, and we, we hear these things. And what you have to do in order to hear the voice of God when you're in the midst of such wilderness moments like that, you have to try to quiet the voices. And this is what happened to Elijah. There was the wind, and there was the earthquake, and there was the fire. But it was finally in the stillness, the sheer silence, that he hears God speaking to him. Now, for me, it's not just those voices in my head that distract me or uh, that I struggle with hearing God's voice. It's, it's those other distractions that tend to uh, drown out God's voice every day. For instance, you know, all of us have cell phones, at least most of us do. I, mean, I don't know hardly anybody that doesn't have a cell phone anymore, but uh, we all have cell phones. And what I find is that when I have the cell phone with me, I am continually distracted all day long. And there's hardly ever 10 minutes that passes by that I don't have some notification or some uh, uh, event. Yeah, I got, I've got a whole bunch of them there. I haven't even looked at But I get all these notifications. You get these messages, these emails, these alerts, alarms coming in. I mean, there's never hardly a part of my day that dude, I don't have all this going on. And the truth is, I kind of like that. <laughs> I mean, I like getting messages from people, especially if it's from you. I like getting y'all's messages. And um, I like knowing what's going on in the world around me. I like being connected. The problem with that is 
But it just doesn't leave any room for silence. In the words of Father Orr, we are toxically overstimulated today. Toxically overstimulated. Mother Teresa puts it this way. She says, in the silence of the heart, God speaks. If you face God in prayer and silence, God speaks to you. Then you will know that you are nothing. It's only when you realize your nothingness, your emptiness, that God can fill you with himself. Souls of prayer are souls of great silence. Now, I don't know if this is true for you or not, but even when I pray, I find that I end up doing most of the talking. I mean, I hardly ever just take time to listen to God. I'm saying these prayers on the run. I'm, I'm doing the talk. Sometimes I wonder if God doesn't say to me, just, would you just please shut up for a moment? Would you just be quiet? I can't get a word in edgewise because you're talking all the time. Am I the only one that that's true for? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, we all struggle. We need more silence in our lives. Times when we can listen to God speaking. We just take the time for that. Well, that's just what happens for Elijah. It's finally and the quietness, and the silence that he hears God. And it's interesting what God says to him. You know, you'd think, or at least, of course, what Elijah wanted him to say would be, hey, Elijah, it's all going to be okay. God sticks to everything. It's all going to be okay. But again, you don't hardly ever read that taking place in the Scripture. God doesn't fix everything for us. So what did God whisper to Elijah that day? Well, in verse 15, this is what we read. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Say, what? What kind of answer is that? (laughs) Go back? Are you kidding? Well, here's what I think is happening in this passage. Uh, What God is saying to Elijah is, you know, you you need to get up and go back. Because I've still got things for you to do. And we've had this 40 days out here and 40 nights in the wilderness. And it's been great. I've showed my power to you. I've showed my glory to you. And it's all been great. But you've got to get up now, and you've got to go back, because I've still got things for you to do. This is so important. Uh, psychologists often tell people that are going through depression and times of despair that the best thing that they can do for themselves in those moments is to go and help other people, to do something for others. Because it's when you take your eyes off of yourself and you begin to focus on the needs of others and serving others, you find that your spirit is lifted as well. Listen, when you have a purpose for your life, when you have a reason for getting up and something to do, it it helps you to overcome those moments of despair and depression. When God says to Elijah, he says, you need to go back. What Elijah is hearing is God's not finished with me yet. He's still got things for me to do. And if he's got things for me to do and he's telling me to do this, then God must going to be with me and he's going to sustain me and give me what I need in order to do that. Again, when you are pursuing the purpose that you believe God is calling you to do, it gives you a reason to live. It gives you a reason to keep going. You find hope. You find meaning. You find that assurance that God's not finished with you. He's going to be with you. This is what happened for Elijah. Do you have a sense of God's purpose for your life? Do you have a calling to fulfill? It gives you a reason to get up every day and to keep going. Listen, every single hero that you read about in the Bible 
went through these kind of times, these wilderness moments of despair and hopelessness and depression. We're not unique to that. Uh, All of us go through those moments, these wilderness moments of life. And when we do, we go back to Mount Horeb. We go back to that place where we have that core belief that is reaffirmed for us that there is a God and there's a God who loves us and there's a God who can sustain us and who will never leave us or forsake us. We go back to that. We take time to listen, to be quiet and listen to the voice of God. And when we do, we encounter God's word to us. He comes to us. He encourages us. He gives us what we need for the journey that's ahead. We behold God's glory. But we can't stay there. You can't stay withdrawn and alone in the wilderness all the time. You have to at some point get up and go back out there because God has things for you to do. There's still a purpose and a calling for your life. And when you have that sense that God is not finished with you, that, that um, God has got a calling for your life and that God can use even your pain to help others and to help uh, bring about his purposes in this world, again, that gives you hope. That gives you a reason to keep on going. It really comes down to this, faith and perseverance. Faith and perseverance. These are the things that help us to overcome the wilderness moments of our life. Well, Elijah goes back. Um, he he um, ends up going back up to the area, and God does some miraculous things with his life. He overcomes King Ahab and Jezebel. He actually anoints other kings, and um, he brings the people back to God. Toward the end of his life, he mentors a successor, Elisha, who uh, was a joy to him in his old age. And when you get to the end of Elijah's life, you find that he's only one of two people in the Old Testament that didn't die. And this is what we read in Second Kings. As he and Elisha continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. How much Elijah would have missed if God had answered his prayer He was under that broom tree in the desert. So I think the word to us today is simply this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Learn the lesson and example of Elijah, who at the end of his life, his prayer was, thank God. Thank God I didn't give up. In that spirit, let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, we all find ourselves in the times of wilderness, Help us to trust that you are always there, that you never forsake us, that you love us. Help us to never give up, to hold on to you. Help us to make room for silence in our lives so that we can hear you speak to us through that small, still voice. God, grant us your strength. Grant us the courage to get up when we don't feel like it and to pursue the calling that you have for our lives. Help us, O oh Lord, to experience the joy, the joy that comes from being used by you to bless and encourage and to, to help others in their times of need. Today we offer ourselves, God, we offer our wilderness moments to you. Thy will be done in Jesus' name. Amen.